0: Good morning. Uh, If you would, please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Uh, It's on page 911 of the Bibles provided underneath the seats in front of you. While you're turning, uh, my name's Aaron Holmes, if you don't know me. Um, Been a member here at Joy since 2020. Um, Larry asked me to share my testimony. So when I was about four years old, I was in kindergarten, I think, um, my teacher asked me if I wanted to be... Saved, So I raised my hand, she walked me through key scripture passages, and um, she walked me through the sinner's prayer. But I don't believe that was when I was saved. I I think I was relying on reciting a prayer to save me. So when I was seven, uh, my pastor at the time was presenting the gospel, and I was deeply convicted of my sin. And I realized that I was not producing the fruit uh, that a believer should. So I repented my sins, and I gave my life to Christ. And I saw an immediate difference in behavior. And, you know, I used to think my testimony was boring because I wasn't saved from addiction or or something like that, but now I realize how wonderful my testimony is, and I praise God that I was saved at a young age and raised in a Christian home. Um, So follow along as I read uh, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to a number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have spoken in various times and in various ways to your people. But now in these last days, you have spoken through your Son, who is the incarnate word. We pray that you will open the mouth of your servant Larry to proclaim that word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, grant that we may hear read learn and meditate upon your truth spoken here today and we pray that the spirit will soften our hearts that those seated here who do not know you may receive the gospel and that your word may bear good fruit in our lives lord you have promised these things all of this we ask in christ's name amen
1: What is the mission of the church? Uh, There has been a lot of ink spilled over the years in an effort to answer that question. Uh, Biblically, there has been scholarly debate about it. Uh, But it's not merely, I don't think it's merely an academic uh, or abstract question. It affects our everyday lives. What are we doing? Why are we here? What is this all about? Uh, I think it's especially important for us to think about the church's mission in days of political and cultural turmoil, as we know, in our own land. Uh, The church's mission is what Jesus calls the church to do. But our convictions about what he calls us to do are often shaped in ways we don't realize by different challenges or experiences that we're having as we carry on in this world. So if you're a Christian and you feel oppressed, you might be inclined to conclude that the church exists to oppose oppression and systemic injustice. If you're a Christian and you lament the decline of morality in our nation, you might say that the church exists uh, to fight for a more moral nation, a nation whose laws more clearly reflect God's law as it is given to us in the scriptures. Uh, Do you care about good government? Do you care about the poor? Do you care about finding purpose for your life or healthy families? The Bible does address all of those things. And so you might say that the church exists primarily to address these things, or at least you might be tempted to say that. So what is the mission of the church? Well, I would like to suggest, I don't think that in the midst of all of the discussion and debate there is and all that's been written that I will say something today that will just carry the day and end this discussion, but I would like to suggest that amidst the deep divisions that exist in our nation today, and even amongst churches in determining what exactly is the mission of the church, what it's for, what it's to be about, I would suggest that the highest ultimate reason that the church is, and therefore what the mission of the church is, is praise. That we give ourselves to the praise of God specifically. The church exists to be a people Of praise and the church's mission most ultimately and foundationally is to declare the praises of our God. That priority and that purpose takes center stage as we come again to this uh, wonderful paragraph of scripture that Aaron just read for us. We've uh, studied it now. I think this is the sixth week we've been looking at this paragraph. And uh, we've seen that on the heels of the very powerful evangelistic declaration that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were rescued from their sin. They were saved. They were brought out of the domain of darkness and they were transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And this paragraph that we've been looking at describes for us the, the, the beautiful way of life that emerged when the spirit fell upon and was powerfully at work in this community, in this family of disciples. Uh, One commentator on the book of Acts uh, named John Polhill writes of this paragraph, something that I think we've been noting as we've gone through our study of it. He says, Luke's summary, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, Luke's summary presents an ideal for the Christian community, which it must always strive for, constantly return to and discover anew if it is to have that unity of spirit and purpose essential for an effective witness. And I I think he's absolutely right about that. So as as we're moving on from this paragraph, I hope we don't move on from it in our hearts, in our thinking about the church, but that we would, in fact, return to it often as an ideal to strive for, as something of a a litmus test for assessing our own priorities and values as a church, a, a vision for our corporate life together. But as wonderful as this paragraph is in all of its different emphases that we have considered, the devotion to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and uh, the breaking of bread and the prayer and the generosity and the uh, evangelistic impact that we'll note and observe this morning as we study the word. In all of it, let us not forget, let us not move on from the fact that what's most pivotal, what's most foundational, what is the, the engine that drives all the beauty that is depicted in this paragraph is one word there in verse 47, praise praising, well, two words, actually, praising God, praising God. I was not expecting to preach when I came to this uh, text this week and started thinking of these two verses in particular, verses 46 and 47. I was not thinking that I was going to just spend so much time talking to you about these two words, praising God, but that's actually the whole sermon praising God. Uh, I have three points, but they're basically one point with two different uh, implications. The point number one is praising God. Very creative, I know. (laughs) Point number two is praising God together. And then point number three is praising God among all the people. It's all about praising God. I hope that's what we're all about and that we'll be strengthened and encouraged in our being about that through our time thinking about the word this morning. They were praising God. Uh, What is praise? Kids, just wanna throw out an answer or two here? Anybody, audience participation here, kids? Just might as well just look right over there. Anybody, any kids? What is praise? He's awesome. Yeah, okay, we have big kid answering. He's awesome. That is praising. What is this? what does it mean to praise? Give to give good words, to speak good words. Pray. To pray, we can pray prayers of praise especially. Any other kids? Okay, he's he is worthy. Tave is really enjoying this. <laughs> praise God for you, brother. What's that? It's to celebrate. To praise God, I, I've heard it put uh, this way, to praise God is to exalt God with everything that we are, especially our mouths. Now, that, that's only helpful if we can understand what the word exalt means. To exalt means to hold something or someone in very high regard, to speak very highly of something or someone. And we were made, we were reminded of this at the very beginning of our service, right, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is worthy to be praised. We were made to praise God. To praise God means to acclaim him, to give thanks to him, to extol him, to celebrate him, to honor him, to adore him. And normally that happens, though that can be, that is an expression, of an attitude of the heart, it often gives expression with our lips. So the the writer of Hebrews, in, in Hebrews 13, 15, the writer says, through him, through Jesus, who has reconciled us to God, who's cleansed us from sin and brought us near to God, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And then he tells us what it is. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. And so with this understanding of praise to acclaim, to celebrate, to boast in, to honor God, we see how critical it is that we do in fact direct our praise to God because only God is worthy of that kind of regard and esteem. All people everywhere give themselves to praise in some respect. Everyone is a worshiper. But sin has corrupted our ability and our desire for praise so that what is natural to us as sinners actually is not to give praise to the God who made us and sustains us, but actually to seek praise and esteem for ourselves. Our sin, that should condemn us forever before God is that rather than worship and praise the infinitely good and kind God that we were made for, instead we have lived lives that disregard him and dishonor him and despise him. It it is a gross injustice to do that, making us vile and corrupt and guilty and even worthless in the eyes of our maker as worthless as a, as a waistband soaked in wet soil for months. That's a weird image, I understand, but it's an image that the Bible uses in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, remember that passage that Melissa, I am so sorry, that is again my fault that I told her to read to verse 4, But remember that passage in Deuteronomy as I encourage her to continue reading, and particularly that call that Israel would live in such a way in submission to God, in obedience to his commands, that the nations around them would say, what kind of people is this? What kind of God do they have that they live in such an attractive, compelling way? But what we know is that Israel consistently fell short of that. And in the days of Jeremiah, the Lord admonished, he rebuked, and he threatened to judge his people because he said that he had he had bound them to himself like a like a waistcloth which is again it's a difficult image to understand but but he had jeremiah take this waistcloth and just put it under uh, by the river where it got all soiled and messed up and ruined basically and then he drew a lesson from this uh, illustration of the wasted loincloth he said this evil people this is jeremiah 13 this evil people who refused to hear my words who stubbornly follow their own hearts and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory." but they would not listen. They did not say amen, the people of Israel. I'm glad that you said amen, but they did not say amen. God in the Exodus, when he plucked his people out of Egypt and rescued them, he had bound Israel to himself that by their life, by their relationship to him, that they would display his fame and renown. But they and all of us subsequently have failed to do that. It is both wicked and it is destructive to withhold praise from the giver of all good things and the fountain of every blessing and seek praise for ourselves. So I I have a friend who's moving out, he moved out to Minneapolis to plant a church out in Minneapolis and he he was telling this story that a friend of his before he moved out there, uh, this was last July 4th apparently, there was a parade, you know, as there are, always parades on the 4th of July, and there was a car that was, that was driving around this parade, and people began shooting fireworks off at other people. And you can imagine what a horrifying video that was. How disgusting it is to take something that in itself is beautiful when it's directed towards the, the right thing. When you direct a firework towards the sky, we all admire that. We think that's lovely. We go and we love to watch that. But what an ugly thing it is when it is directed, when this wonderful, powerful thing is not directed where it's supposed to go upward, but directed at another person. That's a horrible thing. But it... As he was talking about that, it made me think of something slightly different. It made me think about how insane it is and how destructive it would be to take a firework and actually shoot it at ourselves rather than turn it where it's supposed to go up to the skies to turn it on ourselves. We would literally be destroying ourselves. And that is what we do when we take this glorious gift of praise which is meant to go upwards, which is meant to go heavenwards toward God. And when we turn it on ourselves and we live to have other people praising us. Hey, young people, I'm especially burdened for you in this regard. I, I prayed about it in the pastoral prayer. So much of, of the technology world, so much of the social media world is designed to help you summon others to your own Praise. And as destructive as shooting off a firework at yourself is, that's how destructive it is to live your life for your own praise. That is not what we were made for. It will destroy us, and it makes us damnable before God. God's word says, For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And that's where Israel was, as that wasted loincloth. And that's where really all of us are, as lovers of self, as seekers of self, as promoters of self. But in his great kindness, amidst the unceasing failure of his people to live for the mission that he had charged them with, of directing all praise and attracting all praise to him, in the midst of their failures, the Lord made promises to his people that he would pardon their rebellion, that he would subdue their rebellion, and that he would restore them to the dignity for which they were made, and that is the dignity of praising God. So he says, right, he, 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 he takes issue with his people in Jeremiah 13, he says, you're like this wasted loincloth, good for nothing, because I made you to be for my renown and praise, but you've not done it, you haven't listened to me, Twenty chapters later in Jeremiah 33, the Lord says to his wayward people, his obstinate people, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble. And I know I've departed a little bit from Acts chapter two, but if you can go back to Acts chapter two, what are we told? In verse 43, when the church was living this way, fear all came upon every soul. God promised to Jeremiah, they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. And what we know sitting here today is that all that good and all that prosperity that we know, not talking about health and wealth, but prosperity in our souls, we have all of that because of Jesus. The Lord Jesus fulfilled this promise of Jeremiah 33, not just for the people of Israel, but for a worldwide people. That's how we could get into it. At least that's how you could get into it. I just had to say that. Okay, I'm ethnic Jewish, for those of you that don't know. That's, that's how we could all get into it. Every tribe and nation and language and people to be holy and happy praisers of the living God. The Apostle Paul tells us about this very reason for Jesus' coming in his letter to the Romans. He says in Romans 15, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And I just want to stop there for just a minute so that you understand what, what Jesus did in becoming a servant to the circumcised. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we sang that, of that incarnate word coming from heaven to earth, he came as a servant. And Jesus humbled himself even to death, a sacrificial substitutionary death in which he would bear in his own body the just wrath of God for his people's lust for self-seeking and self-promotion and self-praise. Jesus brought perfect praise to his God and Father throughout the entirety of his earthly life. The whole life and ministry of Jesus was itself a powerful proclamation of praise among the people of God. So, so, It says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, in the midst of his bringing many sons to glory, he was made perfect through suffering saying, I will tell, these are the words of Jesus quoting from the Psalms, I will tell of your name to to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's what Jesus was about. His praise of God carried him all the way to the cross where in the hours immediately before his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion, we're told specifically that with his disciples, Matthew 26, 30, it's this passing remark that is so, for years I skipped right over it, when they sang a hymn. On his last night, before he was getting ready to endure the agonies of the cross, for the sins of all his people, for all time, he sang a hymn. He brought praise to God. He left his father's throne above, God's very own son, as we sang, coming from heaven to die. Such such fierce and intense agony that we're told that sweat was dropping down like drips of blood because of the weighty uh, agony of what he knew was on the horizon knowing that he'd be struck to death by god's almighty rod having been betrayed by one of his closest friends and soon to be abandoned by all of his followers soon to feel the complete forsakenness of god turning his face away from his beloved son in indignation stripped and mocked by crowds cursed struck spit upon about to suffer indescribable miseries under the undiluted wrath of God, and he sang a hymn to God. He's praising God. And you wanna know why he did that? Why he would suffer all that? What fueled him and sustained his praise as he was preparing to endure all that? Christ became a servant to the circumcised, back to Romans 15, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles." What sustained him, what fueled him, what carried him through was that he was producing, he was creating by his own sacrifice, a worldwide people, all the nations of the earth to bring praise to his God. This is the message of first importance. That Jesus came to heal what is so deeply broken in us, to remake us, to give us new birth. The Bible talks about this change being so drastic to be turned from from worshipers of ourselves to worshipers of God is such a radical change. It's called being born again. And he, he worked that for us by paying the debt to God that we owe for the ways that we have sinned against him and stolen from him the praise and honor that he's due. And he, by his sacrifice, brings all who believe in him into a new relationship by the power of his resurrection and his life-giving spirit sent from above. And if you've not turned from self-praise to God-praise, I urge you to do that today through faith in the Lord Jesus. Receive his forgiveness and pardon and cleansing today. And one of the things that gets implanted in you when you do that, when you receive him, one of the things that the Holy Spirit implants in you in that new birth is a heart full of praise. Fruit, the, the fruit is lips that acknowledge his name and declare his excellencies and praises. We who have tasted and seen the kindness of God in taking our sin upon himself on the cross and bearing the wrath that we uh, deserved, we, we, one of the fruits is we love to tell people, we love to declare that it is so. Peter writes, but you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And oh, for a thousand tongues to declare it. Shout for joy in the Lord, Psalm 33 says. Oh, you righteous. How would we be Righteous when we have sinned against him and we have taken praise and worship and directed it at ourselves instead of towards him, we are righteous because of Jesus, by trusting in Jesus, so that the psalmist says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Oh, it is fitting for the people of God to praise their God. We who have been delivered by his substitution, we who have been Uh, sustained by his provision. We who have been aided by his empowering. We who have been guarded and protected by his keeping. Maybe some of you are here. you're You're not feeling this praise. You know it's true. You believe what I'm saying, but you don't feel that praise in your heart. Well, you're here, and do you know why you're here? Because God is keeping you, and he's worthy of praise for that. We who are upheld by his forbearing and comforted by his promising and hoping in his appearing, we have ample and abundant cause to give praise to our God. And that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. I haven't forgotten about Acts (laughs) 2. I'm just trying to help us. I'm just trying to expose the meaning of these words here at the beginning of verse 47 Praising God. The people of God praise our God. I'm belaboring it here because this is everything. This is where it all starts. Jesus has redeemed a people for the praise of his glory. And the people who had been redeemed, I'm talking now about the people in Acts 2, though it's certainly applicable for us here who've been redeemed. The people who had been redeemed the people whose hearts had been so filled with praise because they'd been rescued from that crooked generation that they were once a part of, they delighted in getting together and bringing praise to him together. Okay, Point number two or implication number one or whatever you want to say. They praised God together. Daily it says, right? Day by day. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Constant, regular, unceasing praise in the temple together. Perhaps that's a, a strategic place for witness. These, these people, though they had come to Jesus, they were still Jewish people. They still engaged in the different Jewish Uh, forms of life and customs so they were going to the temple still maybe that was a large place where the early church could meet all of them together maybe that was a place of strategic witness for them but either way they were gathering there together and then in smaller more intimate settings in their homes they were getting together these brothers and sisters could not even eat food the same way anymore why do we thank god for the food that we have when we, we sit down at the table sometimes it can become a little cold and monotonous can it not I know it can. I mean, I'm the one who prays most nights, and sometimes it's just this mechanical thing because I forget, because I'm forgetful. Even food, even the experience of having food, they had glad hearts. Uh, Maybe it's generous. It may be the word sincere there or without deceit, or humble, or simple. There's different ways to translate that word. That's translated generous there in the ESV. But either way, they had been so overcome by the goodness of God in Jesus that they were constantly meeting up together, praising God all the while, because we know praise. You know this, do you not? Praise is best enjoyed when you're enjoying with other people. Whether it's that great ball game, or whether it's a great movie. Experience this one. Okay, Friday night, I'm not even going to talk about it, but, but just on Friday night, I'm just watching people praising things together. A shared experience, uh, not shared, I didn't actually share it together, but they both had this experience of watching a movie, and it's like, oh, that scene was so amazing. It could, be a, it could be a musical group, a vacation, whatever it is, we know we love to praise something with other people who are praising with us. And these people in the first... Uh, The early church in Acts chapter 2, they could not get enough of each other because they just could not get over praising their God together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That is the anthem of the church. That's what they had going on there in Acts 2, and that's what every spirit-filled church has going on. There may be all kinds of different logistical questions about that. How, do they, how are they together day by day? What'd that look like? Is this like a formal life group ministry? Is that, is that I, I, I'm not, intre- I mean, there's things that could be said about that, but I'm not interested in delving into all the practical and logistical considerations. A big church, I can't, can't get to know and be with everybody like that. It, it's a busy season of life. My kids have activities and so forth. The house isn't big enough. All kinds of things we might want to think about But at the deepest level, this is not about logistical matters. I'm happy to talk with you. We could discuss that in your life groups, discuss that after the church. What's that commitment to praise God together? What's that looking like for you? It's a great question to talk about. I'm happy to talk about it. But at the deepest level, it's not a particular form. It's not a particular strategy. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a principle of worship that is birthed in the heart of every saint in response to the love of Christ in which the people of God so prize their God and all that he is and all that he's done and all that he will yet do for us in Christ that we're moved to express that in bringing deep, joyful, explicit praise of our God together. May, May our hearts... We, we, we love our family. I don't know. Do we all love it? I think we all love it. We have, there's, a, there's a song that we love singing after dinner called Never Cease to Praise. And it, I mean, the end, the, the, the last line just of, the, of each verse just says, May our hearts be so consumed by you that we never cease to praise. Now, may that be so for us, beloved. May our hearts be so consumed that our times together would be filled with his proclamations with declaring his excellencies explicitly and expressly enjoying him together. It should not be awkward. It should not be awkward when we get together to just for somebody to just say, how have you tasted the Lord's goodness this week? Let's praise him together. What do you read in his word? What's a promise that's upholding you or sustaining you? Let's sing a hymn together. Let's praise our, it should not be awkward. I think it is awkward. Do you ever find it? It's not, it shouldn't be awkward, but I, 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 sometimes it's hard, it just feels awkward to do it. And you know why I think it feels awkward to do it? Because we have, a, we have an adversary who hates us, who would love to destroy us, who would love to silence our praise. So the next time you feel like you want to ask a meaningful question, Or talk about something meaningful. I'm not saying that you can't talk about sports and movies and music. That's fine. But the next time you feel like, I want to talk about something deeper. And you feel a little bit stifled. Remember, that's Satan trying to destroy praise. And give God praise. The people of God praise God together. And the fruit of that praise can't be contained or confined to just the people of God. A part of what God has implanted in us in our conversion, in our new birth, part of what he's redeemed us for is that we might be his witnesses. This is what the whole book of Acts is about. Right? Acts 1.8, wait for the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the whole book of Acts. And fundamentally, what that means to be a witness is to testify to his praiseworthiness to those who are still tragically and wickedly committed to their own praise. Because we have come to know him, because we have come to admire him and extol him and enjoy him and delight in him, we long for other people to know him and admire him and extol him and enjoy him and delight in him. And that pursuit of praise among all the people, you see there in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That pursuit of praise among all the people in our neighborhoods and in all the nations of the earth, that's our mission. We see it happening uh, right here in the passage. And it's as I, I alluded to it Uh, when we looked at that Jeremiah 33 promise, I think we can see the first fruits of that fulfillment. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to redeem you. And the nations are going to fear and tremble at the good that I work for you. And here we have the people of God praising their God and having favor with all the people and the Lord adding some to the number day by day by day. I do think I think it's a fair assumption that some of the people at least who were so awed in verse 43 were among those who were added to the number there in verse 47. They they saw that life. They saw this Compelling way that the people of God were living, their devotion, their love, their generosity. They heard the words that they were, they heard the excellencies of God that were being co- proclaimed by the people of God. And some of these awed people came to be among the number who were added to the church. We understand, I don't think I need to tell you this. This is obvious, but I will state the obvious. We understand. That opposition and persecution, that's part of the reality of living in submission to Jesus' lordship. And I do think we're going to begin, we are already beginning to know a little bit more of that in our own land. Not like in Qatar yet, but it's, it's been happening more. And we'll see that opposition very much in our study of the book of Acts as we continue. But that reality of opposition and alienation from others should not cause us to ignore this fact also, that in some wonderful circumstances, the praise-filled life of God's people is part of what God uses to bring more praise to himself as he transforms avowed enemies into beloved children through his people's mission of praise, both in word and in deed. So Peter tells the church that they exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then he says just a couple of verses later, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You get out living in that world full of people that hate you, keep your conduct honorable, attractive, beautiful. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We had a testimony even of this on Wednesday night at our Thanksgiving Eve service. I don't know if Buck Buck is here right now. Uh, And he said he wasn't looking for points. He wasn't looking to score points. He's not scoring any points, but he became a sermon illustration because he did share it publicly on Wednesday night. He said he walked in here. He said the day he walked in here for the first time, and that was years ago, and he would have understood himself. Now he would know he was not following the Lord at that point. But he, he said, he, test, he sat here on Wednesday and he said, When I first came into this building, I knew God was with this people. Amen. And he continued to watch the life of this people and he heard the word of the gospel calling him out of sin and into repentance and faith. And God used the life of the people and the proclamation of what was fueling our life. And the Lord did a transforming work in Buck's life. Yes. So, yeah, there's opposition. Yeah, we can expect there to be difficulty and persecution, but let's not just assume all the time that opposition means success. You could just be like a jerk, and that's not, that's not a great reason for, for, you know, to be bragging about the opposition that you're facing. God means to use the quality of life of his people, the love that they have, and the words that they're preaching to use that word in the context with the platform of the people of God living in submission to the goodness of the Lord, that he uses it to awaken sinners. And some of these all will become people added to the number. Kids, I want you to understand this too. I know I'm talking a lot. I'm almost done, kids, but you do such a great job of sitting still and listening. Kids, I want you to know that just because you come to church, it's a wonderful thing that your parents bring you to church and I, maybe you, you enjoy singing the songs or there's, you like getting together and playing football on the field there with your friends after the service. I want you to know, it's what we love that you love to come. If you love to come, that's wonderful. But lo- being around the people and enjoying some things about being around God's people is not the same thing as being one of his people. There's only one way to become one of his people. It's not just by being around, it's by confessing that you're a sinner, that you too, kids, have lived for yourself your own way instead of living for God's way, and confessing that to God, and then seeing and believing that Jesus so loves you that he would give his life to cleanse you, to to forgive you from that so that you could be restored to giving him praise. There's a whole lot more that I could say about the witness of Christ's people, and we'll have much occasion to say it. We're taking a little break with Advent We'll be talking about some specific reasons why Jesus came to earth over the next month. But when we pick back up in Acts in the new year, we'll have much occasion to be talking about this witness of Christ's people near and to the ends of the earth. But I just want to encourage you, again, it's the same encouragement now that I just gave you with regards to our relationship with each other as it pertains to our mission out among the lost. And this is something that is, was particularly challenging to me as I just studied this week. So I'm asking you to pray for me in this. I don't think I do this well. Maybe some of you don't do it well either. But I just want to encourage you do not be ashamed to declare the praises of your God among those who you know don't believe him. Do not be ashamed of that. Whether, whether those people who don't believe in him are in your home or your family, whether they're in your neighborhood, whether they're in your workplace, wherever they are, from the rising of the sun to its setting, that's round-the-clock praise. That does not mean we shut off the praise you know, when the sun goes down. That's just talking round-the-clock praise. And, and that means that surely it's praise when you're among unbelievers too. Let, let the praises of God be on your lips when you're asked how your weekend was. Maybe somebody tomorrow say, hey, how was your weekend? Let me tell you, we gathered, the church gathered, we celebrated Jesus. He's risen from the dead. That's why we get together on Sundays. And because of his resurrection, I got a living hope. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. All because of Jesus. I, I woke up this, he woke me up. I read his word this morning. I was reminded to taste and see that he's good that he doesn't withhold anything good, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing, God, a great weekend. How about you? You can do that. They might not ask you next Monday how your weekend was. (laughs) And that's okay. I'm not saying we should be belligerent about stuff. We're supposed to be gentle and respectful. But like, why would we allow the prospect? And this is, again, this is where I've been challenged. You could pray for me to grow in this. Why would I be concerned to be thought of as a little bit weird when I'm praising the God who loved me and gave himself for me? And I don't have to be concerned because He's. you see there, we'll have occasion to talk more about this as we study too in the book of Acts. You see it says there, the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. That is so liberating. It is not your work to add to the number. We're involved. Praise God we get to be involved through our praises. But we are not adding anybody. God adds people. And that means I could just go ahead and be weird and not worry that I'm going to mess somebody up. I think this is something that stunts our evangelism. We think we're going to be awkward or weird and, they're, and we're going to turn them off. They're off. If you're here and you're among us and you're not a Christian, we understand you to be off. If God is working it, if you're, if you're starting to taste something and desire something, that's because the Lord is doing something in you. It's not just because you're getting something he's adding to the number. So let's let's be a people who give ourselves to proclaiming his excellencies. That's the fuel of missions. That's what drives people to cross cultures, to cross oceans. That's what people that's what drives people to cross the street and tell people about God because we long for him to be praised and we can't stop praising him. When we're in the temple, When we're in each other's homes, when we're in our neighborhoods or our workplaces, or we're planning trips to unreached peoples around the world, let the people of God praise the name of our God. Praise is where this whole thing is going. That's where it's going to end. For 2,000 years, the Lord has been faithfully adding to that number, and he's going to keep adding to that number until that day arrives when the race is won and our griefs give way to deliverance, We're going to fully know as we're fully known, and all our groans will end as new songs begin. And a multitude from every tribe and tongue wearing robes of white will stand before God's throne, and our hearts will be so consumed by him that we will never cease to praise. Unceasing, unfailing, untiring praise is the destiny of the whole creation for all eternity. John says in the last book of the Bible, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. We're talking about the seas roaring and the fields exulting and the trees of the forest singing for joy. The whole creation in an orchestra of doxology praising to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and until that day we get to live as a signpost of that day when we're together when we're among all the people let us resolve to praise the lord for his great goodness to us in jesus So we're moving from, we're moving on from Acts. I love this paragraph. This has been, I hope it's been helpful for you. It's been very good for me to be in this paragraph of God's word for the last six weeks to just remind me of some things and clarify some things for me. We're moving on, but let's not move on. Luke's summary presents us an ideal for the Christian community, which it must always strive for, constantly return to, and discover anew if it is to have that unity of spirit and purpose essential for an effective witness. Uh, Yes and amen, that's true. But let's make sure that all of our striving, all of our returning, all of our discovering, let's make sure that it begins and ends in deep and humble and glad and sincere praise to God. Because that's everything from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen love you father we thank you we thank you for all that you are for all that you've done for all that you're doing even in this moment sustaining us preserving us strengthening us for all you will promise to do cleansing this world from all all sin and every enemy and wiping away every tear from our eyes all things made new. Father, we long for that day, but ultimately may we long for it, not just for the the comfort that it will bring to us, but for the praise that it will bring to you. And would you use our lives, use our life together, use our life out among all the people to be devoted to praising you. Let us not be ashamed of all the abundant reasons that we have to praise you fill our hearts with more even as we go forth from this place today may we be a people devoted to declaring your excellencies you who've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light it's in jesus name that we pray amen